the Pythagorean school. Pythagoras. Pythagoras was born at Samos about 569 B.C., perhaps of Tyrian parents, and died in 500 B.C. He was thus a contemporary of Thales. The details of his life are somewhat doubtful, but the following account is, I think, substantially correct. He studied first under Pharisees of Cyrus, and then under Anaximander. By the latter, he was recommended to go to Thebes, and there or at Memphis he spent some years. After leaving Egypt, he traveled in Asia Minor, and then settled at Samos, where he gave lectures, but without much success. About 529 B.C., he migrated to Sicily with his mother. And with a single disciple who seems to have been the sole fruit of his labors at Samos. Thence he went to Tarentum, but very shortly moved to Croton, a Dorian colony in the south of Italy. Here the schools that he opened were crowded with enthusiastic audiences. Citizens of all ranks, especially those of the upper classes, attended. And even the women broke a law which forbade their going to public meetings, and flocked to hear him. Amongst his most attentive auditors was Athena, the young and beautiful daughter of his host Milo, whom, in spite of the disparity of their ages, he married. He wrote a biography of her husband, but unfortunately, it is lost. Pythagoras divided those who attended his lectures into two classes, whom we may term probationers and Pythagoreans. The majority were probationers, which it was only to the Pythagoreans that his chief discoveries were revealed. The latter formed a brotherhood with all things in common, holding the same philosophical and political beliefs, engaged in the same pursuit. And bound by oath not to reveal the teaching or secrets of the school, their food was simple, their discipline severe, and their mode of life arranged to encourage self-command, temperance, purity, and obedience. This strict discipline and secret organization gave the society a temporary supremacy in the state, which brought on it the hatred of various classes. And finally, instigated by his political opponents, the mob murdered Pythagoras and many of his followers. Though the political influence of the Pythagoreans was thus destroyed, they seemed to have re-established themselves at once as a philosophical and mathematical society, with the Tarentum as their headquarters, and they continued to flourish for more than a hundred years. Pythagoras himself did not publish any books. The assumption of his school was that all their knowledge were held in common and veiled from the outside world, and further, that the glory of any fresh discovery must be referred back to their founder. Thus, Hippasus, circa 470 B.C., is said to have been drowned for violating his oath by publicly boasting that. He had added the dodecahedron to the number of regular solids enumerated by Pythagoras. Gradually, as the society became more scattered, this custom was abandoned, and the treatises containing the substance of their teaching and doctrines were written. 
The first book of the kind was composed about 370 BC by Philolaus, and we are told that Plato secured a copy of it. We may say that during the early part of the fifth century before Christ, the Pythagoreans were considerably in advance of their contemporaries. But by the end of that time, their more prominent discoveries and doctrines had become known to the outside world, and the center of the intellectual activity was transferred to Athens. Though it is impossible to separate precisely the discovery of the Pythagoras himself from those of his school of a later date, we know from Proclus that it was Pythagoras who gave geometry that rigorous character of deduction which it still bears, and made it the foundation of a liberal education. And there is a reason to believe that he was the first to arrange the leading propositions of the subjects in a logical order. It was also, according to Aristoxenus, the glory of his school that they raised arithmetic above the needs of merchants. It was their boast that they sought knowledge and not wealth. And in the language of one of their maxims, a figure and a step forwards, not a figure to gain three obli. Pythagoras was primarily a moral reformer and a philosopher. But his system of morality and philosophy was built on a mathematical foundation. His mathematical researches were, however, designed to lead up to a system of philosophy, whose exposition was the main object of his teaching. The Pythagoreans began by dividing the mathematical subjects, with which they dealt, into four divisions: numbers absolute or arithmetic. Numbers applied or music, magnitudes at rest or geometry, and magnitudes in motion or astronomy. This quadrivium was long considered as constituting the necessary and a sufficient course of study for liberal education. Even in the case of geometry and arithmetic, which are founded on inferences unconsciously made and common to all men. The Pythagorean presentation was involved with the philosophy, and there is no doubt that the teaching of the science of astronomy, mechanics, and music, which can rest safely only on the result of conscious observation and experiment, was intermingled with metaphysics even more closely. It will be convenient to begin by describing their treatment of geometry and arithmetic. First. As to their geometry, Pythagoras probably knew and taught the substance of what is contained in the first two books of Euclid, about parallels, triangles, and parallelograms, and was acquainted with a few other isolated theorems, including some elementary propositions on irrational magnitudes. But it is suspected that many of his proofs were not rigorous. And in particular, that the converse of a theorems was sometimes assumed without a proof. It is hardly necessary to say that we are unable to reproduce the whole body of Pythagorean teaching on this subject. But we gathered from the notes of Proclus on Euclid, and from a few stray remarks in other writers, that it included the following propositions, most of which are on the geometry of area. One, it commenced with a number of definitions, 
which probably were rather statements connecting mathematical ideas with philosophy than explanations of the terms used. One has been preserved in the definition of a point as a unity having position. 2. The sum of the angles of a triangle was shown to be equal to two right angles. Euclid Book 1, Proposition 32. And in the proof which has been preserved, the results of the proposition Euclid Book 113 and the first part of Euclid Book 1, Proposition 29 are quoted. The demonstration is substantially the same as that in Euclid, and it is most likely that the proofs there given of the two propositions last mentioned are also due to Pythagoras himself. 3. Pythagoras certainly proved the properties of the right-angled triangles which are given in Euclid Book 1, Proposition 47 and Proposition 48. We know that the proofs of these propositions, which are found in Euclid, were of Euclid's own invention. And a good deal of curiosity has been excited to discover what was the demonstration which was originally offered by Pythagoras of the first of these theorems. It has been conjectured that, not improbably, it may have been one of the followings. Comment. The details of these proofs were involved figures that is impossible to show just by reading. Please follow Thriving Education on YouTube for video explanation. Now back to the book. 4. Pythagoras is credited by some writers with the discovery of the theorems Euclid Book 1, Proposition 44 and Proposition 45, and with giving a solution of the problem Euclid Book 2, Proposition 14. It is said that, on the discovery of the necessary construction for the problem last mentioned, he sacrificed an ox. But as his school had all things in common, the liberality was less striking than it seems at first. The Pythagoreans of a later date were aware of the extension given in Euclid Book 625, and Allman thinks that Pythagoras himself was acquainted with it but this must be regarded as doubtful. It will be noticed that Euclid Book 2, Proposition 14 provides a geometrical solution of the equation x squared equals to a times b. 5. Pythagoras showed that the plane about a point could be completely filled by equilateral triangles, by squares, or by regular hexagons. Results that must have been familiar wherever tiles of these shapes were in common use. 6. The Pythagoreans were said to have attempted the quadrature of the circle. They stated that the circle was the most perfect of all plane figures. 7. They knew that there were five regular solids inscribable in a sphere, which was itself, they said, the most perfect of all solids. 8. From their physiology in the science of numbers and from other occasional remarks, it would seem that they were acquainted with the method used in the second and the fifth book of Euclid, and knew something of irrational magnitudes. In particular, there is reason to believe that Pythagoras proved that the side and the diagonal of a square were incommensurable, 
and that it was the discovery which led the early Greeks to banish the conceptions of numbers and measurements from their geometry. A proof of this proposition, which may be that due to Pythagoras, is given below. Next, as to the theory of numbers, in this, Pythagoras was chiefly concerned with four different groups of problems, which dealt respectively with polygonal numbers, with the ratio and proportion, with the factors of numbers, and with numbers in series. But many of his arithmetical inquiries, and in particular the questions on polygonal numbers and proportion, were treated by geometrical method. Pythagoras commenced his theory of arithmetic by dividing all numbers into even or odd, the odd numbers being termed nomen. An odd number, such as 2n plus 1, was regarded as the difference of two square numbers, n plus 1 squared and n squared, and the sum of the nomens from 1 to 2n plus 1 was stated to be a square number, such as n plus 1 squared. Its square root were termed a side. Products of two numbers were called plane, and if a product has no exact square root, it was termed as oblong. A product of three numbers was called a solid number, and if the three numbers were equal, a cube. All this has obvious reference to geometry, and the opinion is confirmed by Aristotle's remark that when a nomen is put around a square, the figure remains a square, though it is increased in dimensions. Thus, the figure given above in which n is taken equal to 5, the nomen akc containing 11 small squares, when put around the square ac containing 5 square small squares, makes a square hl containing 6 square small squares. It is possible that several of the numerical theorems due to Greek writers were discovered and approved by an analogous method. The abacus can be used for many of these demonstrations. The numbers 2n squared plus 2n plus 1, 2n squared plus 2n, and 2n plus 1 possessed a special importance as representing the hypotenuse and the two sides of a right-angled triangle. Cantor thinks that Pythagoras knew this fact before discovering the geometrical proposition Euclid Book 1, Proposition 17. A more general expression for such number is m squared plus n squared, 2mn, and m squared minus n squared, or multiples of them. It will be noticed that the result obtained by Pythagoras can be deduced from these expressions by assuming m equals to n plus 1. At a later time, Archytas and Plato give rules which are equivalent to taking n equals to 1. Diophantus knew the general expressions. After this preliminary discussion, the Pythagoreans proceeded to the four special problems already alluded to. Pythagoras was himself acquainted with the triangular number. Polygonal numbers of a higher order were discussed by later members of the school. A triangular number represents the sum of a number of counters laid in rows on a plane, the bottom row containing n, and each succeeding row one less. 
it is therefore equal to the sum of the series n plus n minus 1 plus n minus 2 plus dot 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 plus 2 plus 1. That is to 1 half n times n plus 1. Thus, the triangular number corresponding to 4 is 10. This is the explanation of the language of Pythagoras in the well-known passage in Lucian where the merchant asked Pythagoras what he can teach him. Pythagoras replied, I will teach you how to count. Merchant, I know that already. Pythagoras, how do you count? Merchant, one, two, three, four. Pythagoras, stop. What you take to be four is ten, a perfect triangle and our symbol. The Pythagoreans are, on somewhat doubtfully authority, said to have classified numbers by comparing them with the sum of their integral subdivisors or factors, calling a number excessive, perfect, or defective, according to the sum of these subdivisors was greater than, equal to, or less than the number. The classification at first being restricted to even numbers. The third group of problems which they considered dealt with numbers which formed a proportion. Presumably this were discussed with the aid of the geometry as is done in the fifth book of Euclid. Lastly, the Pythagoreans were concerned with a series of numbers in arithmetical, geometrical, harmonical, and musical progressions. The three progressions first mentioned are well known. Four integers are said to be in musical progression when they are in the ratio a, 2ab over a plus b, a plus b over 2, and b. For example, 6, 8, 9, and 12 are in musical progression. Of the Pythagorean treatment of the applied subjects of the quadrivium and the philosophical theory founded on them, we know very little. It would seem that Pythagoras was much impressed by the certain numerical relations which occurred in nature. It has been suggested that he was acquainted with some of the simpler fact of crystallography. It is thought that he was aware that the notes sounded by a vibrating string depends on the length of the string, and in particular the lenses which gave a note, its fifth and its octave, were in the ratio 2 to 3 to 4, forming terms in a musical progression. It would seem too that he believed that the distance of the astrological planet from the Earth were also in musical progression, and that the heavenly bodies in their motion through space give out harmonious sounds, hence the phrase the harmony of the spheres. This and similar conclusions seem to have suggested to him that the explanation of the order and harmony of the universe was to be found in the science of numbers, and that numbers are to some extent the cause of the form as well as is essential to its accurate measurement. He accordingly proceeded to attribute particular properties to particular numbers and geometrical figures. For example, he taught that the cause of color was to be sought in properties of the number 5, that the explanation of a fire was to be discovered in the nature of the pyramid, and so on. 
I should not have alluded to this were it not that the Pythagorean tradition strengthened, or perhaps was chiefly responsible for the tendency of Greek writers to found the study of the nature on philosophical conjectures and not on experimental observation, a tendency to which the defects of the Hellenic science must be largely attributed. After the death of Pythagoras, his teaching seems to have been carried on by Epicharmus and Hippasus, and subsequently by Philolaus, specially distinguished as an astronomer. Archippus and Elysus. About a century after the murder of Pythagoras, we find Archytas recognized as the head of the school. Archytas. Archytas. About 400 B.C., was one of the most influential citizens of Tarentum, and was made governor of the city no less than seven times. His influence among his contemporaries was very great, and he used it with Dionysius on one occasion to save the life of Plato. He was noted for the attention he paid to the comfort and education of his slaves and of children in the city. He was drowned in a shipwreck near Tarentum, and his body washed on shore. A fit punishment in the eyes of more rigid Pythagoras for his having departed from the lines of study laid down by their founder. Several of the leaders of the Athenian schools were among his pupils and friends, and it is believed that much of their work was due to his inspiration. The Pythagoreans at first made no attempt to apply their knowledge to mechanics, but Archytas is said to have treated it with the aid of geometry. He is alleged to have invented and worked out the theory of the pulley, and is credited with the construction of a flying bird and some other ingenious mechanical toys. He introduced various mechanical devices for constructing curves and solving problems. These were objected by Plato, who thought that they destroyed the value of geometry as an intellectual exercise, and later Greek geometricians confined themselves to the use of two species of instrument, namely rulers and compasses. Archytas was also interested in astronomy. He taught that the Earth was a sphere rotating around its axis in 24 hours. And around which the heavenly bodies moved. Archytas was one of the first to give a solution of the problem to duplicate a cube. That is to find the side of a cube whose volume is doubled than of a given cube. This was one of the most famous problems of antiquity. The construction given by Archytas is equivalent to the following. On the diameter OA of the base of a right circular cylinder, described a semicircle whose plane is perpendicular to the base of the cylinder. Let the plane containing this semicircle rotated around the generator through O, then the surface traced out by the semicircle will cut the cylinder in a tortuous curve. This curve will be cut by a right cone whose axis is OA. And a semi-vertical angle is 60 degrees, in a point P, such that the projection of OP on the base of the cylinder 
will be the radius of the cylinder in the ratio of the side of the required cube to that of the given cube. The proof given by Archidas is of course geometrical. It will be enough here to remark that, in the course of it, he showed himself acquainted with the results of the proposition Euclid Book 3, Proposition 18, and Proposition 35, as well as Euclid Book 11, Proposition 19. To show analytically that the construction is correct, take OA as the axis of X, and the generator through O as axis of Z. Then, with the usual notation in polar coordinates, and if A be the radius of the cylinder, we have for the equation of the surface described by the semicircle, R equals to 2A sine theta. For that of the cylinder, R sine theta equals to 2A cosine phi, and for that of the cone, sine theta cosine phi equals to 1 half. These three surfaces cut in a point such that sine cube theta equal to 1 half, and therefore, if rho be the projection of OP on the base of the cylinder, then rho cube is equal to r sine theta entire thin cube equals to 2a cube. Hence, the volume of the cube whose side is rho is twice of a cube whose side is a. I mention the problem and give the construction used by Archidas to illustrate how considerable was the knowledge of the Pythagorean school at that time. Theodorus, another Pythagorean of about the same date as Archidas, was Theodorus of Cyrene, who is said to have proved geometrically that the numbers represented by root 3, root 5, root 6, root 7, root 8, root 10, root 11, root 12, root 13, root 14, root 15, and root 17 are incommensurable with unity. Theotetus was one of his pupils. Perhaps Timaeus of Locri and Bryson of Heraclea should be mentioned as other distinguished Pythagoreans of this time. It is believed that Bryson attempted to find the area of a circle by inscribing and circumscribing squares, and finally obtained polygons between whose areas the area of the circle lay. But it is said that, at some point, he assumed that the area of the circle was the arithmetic mean between an inscribed and a circumscribed polygon. Other Greek mathematical schools in the 5th century BC it would be a mistake to suppose that Miletus and Tarentum were the only places where, in the 5th century, Greeks were engaged in laying a scientific foundation for the study of mathematics. These towns represent the centers of the chief activity, but there were few cities or colonies of any importance where lectures on philosophy and geometry were not given. Among these smaller schools, I may mention those at Chios, Aleia and Thrace. The best-known philosopher of the school of Chios was Enopides, who was born about 500 BC and died about 430 BC. He devoted himself chiefly to astronomy, but he had studied geometry in Egypt, and is credited with the solution of two problems, namely 
to draw a straight line from a given external point perpendicular to a given straight line, Euclid Book One, Proposition Twelve, and at a given point to construct an angle equals to a given angle, Euclid Book One, Proposition Twenty Three. Another important center was at Elea in Italy. This was founded in Sicily by Sinophonus. He was followed by Parmenides, Zeno, and Melissus. The members of the Eleatic school were famous for the difficulties they raised in connection with the questions that required the use of infinite series, such, for example, as the well-known paradox of the Achilles and the tortoise. Enunciated by Zeno, one of their most prominent members. Zeno was born in 495 BC and was executed at Elea in 435 BC in consequences of some conspiracy against the state. He was a pupil of Parmenides, with whom he visited Athens about 455 to 450 BC. Zeno argued that if Achilles Ran ten times as fast as tortoise. Yet, if the tortoise had a thousand yards start, it could never be overtaken. For when Achilles had gone the thousand yard, the tortoise would still be a hundred yards in front of him. By the time he had covered this a hundred yards, it would still be ten yards in front of him, and so on forever. Thus, Achilles would get nearer and nearer to the tortoise. But never overtake it. The fallacy is usually explained by the argument that the time required to overtake the tortoise can be divided into an infinite number of parts, as stated in the question. But this gets smaller and smaller in geometrical progression, and the sum of them all is a finite time. After the lapse of that time, Achilles would be in front of the tortoise. Probably Zeno would have replied that this argument rests on the assumption that space is infinitely divisible, which is the question under discussion. He himself asserted that magnitudes are not infinitely divisible. These paradoxes made the Greeks look with suspicion on the use of infinitesimals, and ultimately led to the invention of the method of exhaustion. The atomistic school, having its headquarters in Thrace, was another important center. This was founded by Lucius, who was a pupil of Zeno. He was succeeded by Democritus and Epicurus. Its most famous mathematician was Democritus, born at Abdera in 460 BC, and said to have died in 370 BC. Who, besides Philosophical works wrote on the plane and solid geometry, incommensurable lines, perspective, and numbers. These works are all lost. From the Archimedean MS, discovered by Heiberg in 1906, it would seem that Democritus enunciated, but without a proof, the proposition that the volume of a pyramid is equal to one third that of a prism. Of an equal base and of equal height, but though several distinguished individual philosophers may be mentioned, who during the fifth century lectured at different cities, 
They mostly seem to have drawn their inspiration from Tarentum, and towards the end of the century to have looked to Athens as the intellectual capital of the Greek world. And it is to the Athenian schools that we owe the next great advance in mathematics. Thank you.